and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Outsports Podcast Network, and I <laughs> I am guestless this week, um, but that's okay, because we have a lot of wrestling that we need to recap and, and review here on the show. Uh, three major companies holding events over the past two weeks that, um, well, two, I think, were fairly monumental in terms of the direction that their companies are going to be going, those being uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling's Dominion, uh, as well as the New, the New Japan Cup Final, and um, Impact's Slammiversary from, from Saturday. Um, and then, of course, WWE had their pay-per-view, uh, The Horror Show at Extreme Rules, I we'll get to that. I'm gonna we're gonna st- I, I want to go from from good to great to, to um whatever extreme rules was um here in that order for this show and and with that being said, we should probably kick off with what I would say was the good in that being Slammiversary. Um, of course, this was. Uh, Impact's first pay-per-view event um, since COVID hit, um, and Slammiversary usually one of their larger shows of the year. Um, it's a tent pole; it has been for since the days of TNA. Um, and this year's event um, really shook up the company in some ways, um, or at least that's how it was marketed as. You know, there have been teases of uh, you know former world champions returning at the event, and really kind of sparking uh, new excitement. Of course, the introduction of new wrestlers on the show, uh, namely Deanna Parazzo in the in the Knockouts division, um, brought a lot of excitement. And yeah, so heading into the show, like this was going to be one of those events that really was going to move the company into a new direction, and, and a direction that was hopefully going to generate interest. And I would say the, the show Saturday night definitely did that. Um, in multiple ways. I would say, um, obviously, the match of the night for me would be uh, Deanna Parasso and Jordan Grace for the Knockouts title. I mean, this match really felt like it got the most uh, build, or at least the most impactful build, um, heading into the event, and the match did not disappoint. Uh, a 15-minute slugfest um, between the two that ended, you know, with Deanna locking in the, the double armbar and, and winning the title. Um, fairly early into her run with Impact. And it really, for me, it spoke to how Deanna Perazzo had been used in NXT prior to this. Um, I think that this was really a, a coming out party for her in a lot of ways, even though many people already knew what she was capable of. And, and I think it was one of the main reasons why people were excited to see her pop up in uh, Impact following uh, her release from NXT. So yeah, like this match was was outstanding. Loved it to death. Um, followed close second by uh, the the X Division Championship match with Chris Bay and Willie Mack. Bay um, Bay is an awesome signing for this company. Um, you know, out here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, been very familiar with Bay for a while. Um, shout out without a cause. <laughs> so uh, it was awesome to see him be elevated in this way, winning that winning the title off of, of Willie Mack, um, and really pushing that character to, to new heights. Um curious to see where things go for the supremely talented Mac after this. But, you know, the match itself was I was great. I think that Bay going out there without Johnny Swinger, um speaks to a, a new development uh, especially for someone like Bay who is still early in, in his tenure with Impact and so I'm, I'm curious to see where this goes in the future and, and how the X Division shapes around Chris Bay um, especially with Ace Austin seemingly being pushed further up the card um, as evidenced by his spot in the main event tonight um, which the main event I think delivered um, fairly well um, I think that a lot of people were looking at Ace Austin as the person who had come out on top in that match and be crowned the uh, the new Impact Heavyweight Champion. But obviously Eddie Edwards comes out of that elimination match 
um, with the with the win with the belt. Um, a good choice, I would say. Um, I think that you know, for some, for a company like Impact, that you know is, I'd say over the past year they've been really trying to stabilize themselves um, in terms of their presentation and in terms of you know generating more of a fan base for themselves, um, especially after the launch of AEW, um, really kind of taking taking away the um, the identity of the alternative to WWE in America from companies like Impact and Ring of Honor in that way. So I think Eddie Edwards is a perfect person to um, lead the company ahead and see how we can keep developing new talent around him. And, and I like the idea that they posed on this week's episode of... of uh, this week's episode of uh, Impact on Access TV where Eddie basically threw out a an open challenge and is looking to defend the belt every week. Um, so I, I think it it sets up pretty well for, for going forward. Um, and obviously, while Eddie was a good choice to win the match, I think that uh, Trey Miguel um, really showed out here. And I think that Trey, Ace Austin, you know, those two guys really have main event potential there. Um, Rich Swan and Eric Young, the returning Eric Young, by the way, <laughs> love, I really liked seeing Eric Young back <laughs> in Impact, um, especially after um, his initial run in NXT um, was kind of squandered by when moving him to the main roster alongside the rest of Sanity. Um, you know, Rich Swan and Eric Young definitely still have a place there, and, and I'm and I, want to see them further develop as well, see what they can do, see how they use Eric Young going forward there. But Trey and Ace look like the future of this company in terms of the main event picture right now. You know, obviously there are other people there that will move up into that rank as well, but for for the next year or so, like I I I want to see Trey and Ace get get their chances uh, uh uh, being the top of the company there. Um, and, you know, we're obviously already getting that with Trey challenging Eddie for the title on next week's episode of Impact on Access TV. So that'll be fun to see. Um, other than that, main standouts really for me, um, Motor City Machine Guns coming back. It was awesome to see, especially knowing that they were going to be the ones to finally dethrone the North, who have been one of the MVPs of this company over the past year. Um you know, machine guns coming back, defeating the rascals uh, on Slammiversary, and then winning the titles from the North, ending their 383-day reign as champions, um, was an awesome moment to see, especially for for people who have been watching this company for a long time. You know, Saban and Shelley really speak to the heart of what um, made TNA so popular. Back whenever it first really gained a foothold in in the American wrestling scene, so um, to see that continue on under the Impact banner now, I think is really awesome to see, and and it just injects some some. It's odd to say new blood in this way, <laughs> considering how the how long and storied Saban and Shelley's careers have been, but it really injects something new into this division to see them come back, claim the titles, and and see where things go now that the North. Um, will ultimately probably be trying to regain those belts in some way. Or they might not. We might have somebody else. Mad Men Fulton and Ace Austin could be in that mix. The Good Brothers, now that they're there, could be getting in that mix too. So we'll see what happens with, with that. But it's I'm glad to see the machine guns back in in the company. And, um, you know, I, I will say the, the knockouts, Gauntlet for the Gold, match, while disappointing in the execution, um, really did showcase the depth that the company has when it comes to their women's division. Um, I've loved the pairing of Tasha Steeles and Kiera Hogan um, for a while now on the show. It's been one of the highlights anytime they come out. And to see them alongside the rest of the, the women, you know, Taya, Rosemary, and then to see Kylie really get catapulted in the way that she did in that match... Um, you know, entering first, 
maintaining all the way through to the end, defeating Taya Valkyrie at the end to claim the number one contendership and set up a what I can only imagine will be an exciting matchup against Deanna Parazzo down the line. Um, no, it, it was uh, it, it did its job in that way, um, and I really enjoyed seeing it. Uh, I am curious to see where some of these women end up going coming out of this match. Um, but I, I don't know. I just give me more Tasha and Kara, <laughs> please. I want that all day long, all day long. Um, and then look, I, I've seen so many people point to Moose as, as a, as a future main eventer here and, and someone who should be catapulted in with this new revamped character of his and, you know, finding the TNA heavyweight championship and claiming himself as the real world's champion and, you know, the, uh, a wrestling God as he likes to put it. But, um, it's hard, really hard for me personally to get behind Moose in any real way. Um, just, I have a ten, I, I know most people try and separate the, the man from, the athlete, or the man from the character, or the man from the from the in-ring persona, and that sort of thing, and it's really hard for me to do that with Moose. It really is, especially after he posted that video of of himself and Ricochet and Casey Catanzaro, and I believe former NXT wrestler Stacey, Stacey um, Irvin Jr. Um, working out at Team Vision Dojo, uh, which of course is the the school operated by. Um, Chase and Rance, who is one of the more problematic figures, I think, in pro wrestling right now. And to see Moose be proud to post that video and proud to associate himself in that way and then to try and def defend that by basically attacking naysayers on online in that way is like really, really frustrating to see and just makes me become even more um divested from from seeing him on my television um which is a shame because whenever moose originally came up through ring of honor you know i was you know i was a fan i liked what i saw i thought that he had a lot of potential there and then moving to impact you know that was just a I think that that potential was going to translate very well over there but and and if you look at the in ring character on its own, it definitely has. Like Moose, without these other issues that are going on outside of Impact, um, he has the makings of someone who could be in the main event scene there, um, who probably should have been a while back. But it's really hard for me to sit there and say that I want to see Moose versus Eddie Edwards whenever um, Moose seems to have no issue associating himself with um, someone like Chase and Rance. Um, it's really, really frustrating to see and, and disappointing. And, you know, we'll see uh, we'll see what happens going down the line with that. But, I don't know, it, it really seems like they're angling moves to, to be inter injected into that into that main event spot as well. Um, so, we'll we'll see what happens. I just hope that I just hope that, that the backlash to, to that video being posted and, and Moose's comments afterwards in defense of it like really sink in. I don't know if they will, but it's it's frustrating to see. But that does not overshadow the fact that um, Deanna Parazzo and Jordan Grace put out a outstanding match on that show. Um, and, you know, overall, I'd say the majority of the matches were definitely um fun to watch and it was a good event it was a, it was a fun event and i'm glad to see that you know there's this they're injecting a lot of new talent into the program as well like i'm really glad to see ec3 coming back um the good brothers i think will be a very valued addition there <laughs> and um you know even guys like like eric young and even i don't know what they're gonna do with heath but just to see Heath there and, and see what they could come up with down there to maybe tweak that character a bit or 
take it in a completely new direction. Like it's it's interesting to see. So we'll just have to keep our eyes on on Impact and see how that happens going forward. Um, that being said, though, we should get to what was my highlight of this period, which was New Japan's uh, Dominion show. Um, obviously, this was the uh, their Dominion. Typically, is New Japan's like second largest. Um, event of the year, I would say, maybe arguably can adding on to like the G1 final, but this one was extra special because it was um, one of the first events that they held with actual fans in the crowd. Um, obviously, the night before at the New Japan Cup final, they had um, roughly I think like a third capacity in Osaka Joe Hall there in in Osaka, and um, it was interesting to see wrestling with fans again for the first time in months. Um, granted, everyone was in masks and they were advising everyone to not um, scream or cheer, uh, simply clap. Um, and the fans adv- uh, adhered to that for the for the most part um, on both nights. Um, obviously, I think the one <laughs> the one place where they didn't was the uh, the turn at the end of the New Japan Cup final after Evil defeated Kazuchika Okada with aid from the Bullet Club to win that tournament and challenge uh, Naito, his LIJ brother-in-arms and longtime friend for the uh, the IWGB Heavyweight and Intercontinental Championships the next night, to see him turn on Naito that night, side with Bullet Club, throw up the two-sweet instead of the fist bump, um, that elicited some major boos from the crowd, even though they were being advised not to do that. Um, sometimes wrestling storytelling just uh, causes an emotional response that takes over um, that area of your brain. And I don't blame the fans for booing. Um, I hope that, <laughs> that nothing really unhealthy came of that. But... Uh, it was a it was a very visceral reaction to a very what I think is a very visceral storyline that played out even further the next night with the main event, um, Evil taking on Naito, a new look Evil, uh, Bullet Club Evil, um, or should I say Darkness Club Evil taking on Naito. But um, before we get to before we got to that match though, we had a couple of other standouts here. I mean, this Dominion. You know, typically Dominion has like a couple of undercard matches, and then you get into like the 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 deluge of, you know, matches that are given uh, 15 to 30 minutes. Sometimes, you know, a lot of high-profile championship matches, high-profile singles matches, high-profile tag team matches. Um, but this year's Dominion is different. Obviously, New Japan is working with a limited roster. They don't have a lot of. They don't really have any foreigners. Um, that can come in that weren't already there. And I think the, really the main one that was really featured tonight was Zack Sabre Jr. And that's because he's already in Japan. Um, so they're really working on a limited roster. And so in that way, there were more undercard multi-man tag matches that night. And, you know, it didn't really take anything away from it, but it also made it, the card feel a little less like a Dominion show. But... The final three matches of that night definitely may have felt like more uh, Dominion worthy, I would say. Starting off with uh, Sho challenging Shingo Takage for the Never Openweight Championship. Um, anytime these two get in the ring together, it's solid. Uh, and this match did not disappoint. I don't know if it was as good as their match at Best of Super Juniors last year, um, but it was just as good as their match in the New Japan Cup. Um, just a couple of weeks earlier, and delivered in droves. It really cemented show even more so as someone who can compete at the heavyweight level, um, even though this is for the Openweight Championship. And, and honestly, the way that New Japan kind of classifies their weight divisions in that way can be frustrating at times. Um, of course, show entering this match as one half of the Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions with um, his partner, Yo, in Rapongi 3K. So, yeah, Show held his own. Um, hard-hitting, very uh, uh, finessed <laughs> matchup. Um, 
a lot of shows of strength, a lot of core strength from from show and Shingo here, and hard hitting does not put this match uh, does not does do this match any justice. Really, really liked seeing uh, show break out the um, the cross arm pile driver again. I know that he, he still uses it as a finisher, but um, I don't know. It's just one of those things that I haven't gotten to see that much over the past few months with COVID hitting, and I really, I, I really enjoy watching that move. It's just, it's just fun. Um, but Shingo ultimately does come out on top, retains his belt, um, and this is a perfect case of elevation through losing for Show. Um, I really think that Show has the legs to stand on for a singles run going forward. Um, we'll see what happens with the Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championships because like, right now, let's face it, the Rapungi 3K is really the only team with any real juice in that division right now. Like I know you have Kanemaru and Desperado uh, on the Suzuki-kun side, and you have you could probably you could put Bushi and Hiromu together as a team um, if you really wanted to. Even though I think Hiromu has bigger fish to fry at this point, but you just don't really have a ton of. Uh, options there to really keep that division interesting. Um, so in some ways, you have to keep those belts on Rapungi 3K. Um, but you have, I think that New Japan really needs to find a way to make sure that that does not hold Show back in this way because Show, like I can see Show a couple years down the line challenging for a major championship at this point, um, and. I, I don't think that's far-fetched. I could see him in an Intercontinental title match. I could see him definitely in a never-open-weight title match again, or holding that belt, defending that belt somewhere down the line. So we'll we'll see what happens there. But stellar performance from these two. That led into the tag team title match with uh, Kazuchika. Nope, not Kazuchika. Sorry. <laughs> Kota Ibushi. And Hiroshi Tanahashi, the Golden Aces, uh, defending the belts against the uh, Dangerous Techers, Zack Sabre Jr. and Taichi. Um, this match, I've seen some people say that this match went a little long for their taste. I was here for all, like, 30 minutes of it. I was into this the whole time. I think that um, Zack and Taichi are incredibly underrated as a team. And the, just... There's just something especially brutal about that double team maneuver with Tai Chi holding um, Tanahashi's arms behind him while Zach gives him dragon screws, just wrenching on knees. Like it looks like it would legit tear your knee apart. And I think that's one reason why they just kept going back to that. You know, we saw basically the final sequence of this match was just them doing that to each of Tanahashi's knees, like five, six times, and then finally hitting a combination Zack Driver and uh, Tai Chi Superkick to finish it off and, and claim the tag team belts. The first, So the Golden Aces lose the belts in their first defense. Um, but I don't know. It, it, I think that this was a good coronation spot for Tai Chi in that way. Like I know he won the Openweight title last, last year um, in a reign that really wasn't um, worth anything <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, but no, this was a, a really fun match for me. Um, and really, I think it elevated Zach and Tai Chi a lot. Um, and we'll see what happens with the tag team division going down the line. It looks like they are definitely teasing for a rematch at some point. Although Zach basically saying like Koda can pick a new partner because he doesn't, think that Tanahashi deserves that um, that spot. I th- I don't know. I, I think it really just speaks more to building a rematch, but it, who knows? Like, Kota could find a new partner. I doubt it. But, yeah, I'm I'm curious to see a rematch, and, and I'm sure we'll get one down the line. Um, one matchup that I am sure we'll get a rematch <laughs> somewhere down the line is our main event, Evil uh, the new leader of Bullet Club coming in to face the leader of LIJ, uh, Naito, for the double championship. 
Evil. There's been some mixed feelings, I think, on 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 Evil's turn um, here, and I can see points that they're making. I don't share those points at all. I think that Evil has been a guy that I have been very high on for a long time, going back to like his days on Excursion, um, as, <laughs> whatever Watanabe was running uh, all over Ring of Honor down there, at least the little bit that he did. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad to see Evil getting pushed to this level, um, especially in a storyline that has so much real-world meaning to it and, and real depth of character to play off of. Because Evil and Naito and, you know, throw in Hiromu for, in there for good measure, like all three of these guys are been close for a long time. Um, and not just in terms of like in the ring, like outside of the ring as well. So playing off of that relationship in this storyline of like ultimate betrayal, um, and then <laughs> seeing evil go completely evil in this way, um, even going so far as to cover up those thick thighs of his, um, and then attack, oh god, the, the attacking Milano, uh, the announcer, who was the evil super fan for the longest time during that matchup. Um, like, it really spoke to how they are trying to push this character into a, another um, stratosphere in that way. And I will say, like, there, it was funny to watch the Twitter reactions because, like, online, everybody was, like, commenting on Evil's new look and Evil's new music and, like, you know, kind of being here for it and seeing this. And then as soon as the Milano spot happened, like, nope, the entire world <laughs> turned on Evil. And it was effective. It was effective. Um, and then that played out in the match itself. You know, I, I the, the interactions with Naito, the... The grappling, the strikes, everything was stiff, hard-hitting. And um, I know that New Japan, especially with Bullet Club stuff lately, they have a tendency to overbook in that way. But there's a difference between overbooking that causes chaos for no reason and then overbooking for story. And this match, to me, was a perfect case study in overbooking for story. Bullet Club always interferes. Um, and you saw that in this match. Jado, Taiji Ishimori, um, you know, Hiromu came out and made the save there, but these things happen. Like, you saw it happen the night before with Yujiro Takahashi and Gato um, helping distract uh, Kazuchika Okada to help Evil win that match. It's just a thing that Bullet Club does. And in this case, it's set up Evil for you know, his new role, really. And then it really set up giving Bullet Club that evil characteristic, that evil sheen that the that adding evil to this stable really brings. Most notably in the fact that uh, evil has a new manager slash sometimes wrestling partner in Dick Togo, um, who came out and uh, literally garroted um, <laughs> Naito... Uh, I did not expect to see anyone go full Agent 47 um, at this show, but they did. And Dick Kogo choking out Naito, leading to uh, Evil getting the pin and winning the belts in the surprise of all surprises, I would say. Um, uh, it was a it was a moment. It was definitely a moment, and it I think for New Japan, this being their first major event since returning to the ring earlier um, in June. It really put their foot down and put put a stamp on that, like, we, if we're coming back, we're going to do things that are still meaningful. We're not just biding time, waiting for COVID to allow larger crowds and arenas. Like, we are still telling our story. And this was it. And, of course, you know, the lasting image, I think, being Hiromu left in the ring screaming, at the top of his lungs, just screaming after Evil, um, breaking down emotionally, and challenging Evil for those belts, which that match is coming up 
um, in just a few days here on Saturday night um, or Sunday morning, I guess, one of the two, depending on where you are in the country. Um, so, yeah, like I think it was a very... It wasn't the most well-wrestled match, but it told its story. It delivered a bag, a duffel bag full of emotion. And while it wasn't while it wasn't technically engrossing, it was one of the most emotional, evocative matches that I have watched in a in a while. You know, it it got me pulsing in my seat here at like four three in the morning <laughs> in a way that like no amount of coffee would have done. So kudos to New Japan and hopefully we'll see what happens with the, the evil and Hiroma match. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but no, I think it was a very good return to form for New Japan um, here amid the pandemic. And we'll see how how their events will continue going forward. We'll see what they can actually get in. I know there's there's been some talk about trying to do the, the G1 during the fall. Um and what form will that take? You know, there's a there's a lot of things to to watch out for when it comes to New Japan. Um, but we're gonna take a break here real quick. And when we come back, though, um, it's time to get into the horror show in more ways than one. All right, we are back here on LGBT in the ring, and while Slammiversary and Dominion uh, were events that delivered something that could really wet that wrestling palette um, in a satisfying way, um, for the most part, uh, the horror show at Extreme Rules, which uh, is one of the dumbest names that I could think of for, for a wrestling event, and one of the most tasteless names <laughs> considering what we are going through right now, um, was probably one of the more frustrating shows to watch in a long time because the matches on the show, I'd say the majority of them um, can be categorized as you know, good quality wrestling that was satisfying and and enthralling until the finish until the end this i could i could say this about so many matches on this card and it is one of the most frustrating things to see in pro wrestling to have a match that you are really getting into and and you want to see how things are going to play out to ultimately end in fuck finish after fuck finish. Um, it really speaks to the difference in philosophy that you see, whether it be, you know, Japan versus America or WWE versus other wrestling companies, you know, it's, it, it's just immensely frustrating. Um, you saw this in the Asuka and Sasha Banks match, a match that I would say was my match of the night regardless, but still, like, it was a match that really was shaping up to be probably close to the best match out of all three of these events. Like, I would I would have compared, if not for the way that it ended, I might have compared it, like, it, I would have put it up there with Sho and Shingo in some ways, you know? It's not the same style of match, it's not, the, it's not good for the same reasons, but it's as good for the reasons that it is good, you know. Um, so, even Deanna and Jordan, like this would this would have been right there with Deanna and Jordan as well. So, to see it in the way it did with you know the Bailey putting on the ref shirt, counting the three, not really getting a decisive finish there, just so that they can transition to rematches on TV to bo- to boost ratings in that way. And to have the story not feel satisfying at all, and not in the way that I think they want it to, um, was is just one of those things that just gnaws at you in a lot of ways, um, and it does a disservice to to the women's division there, um, especially considering how the the other main women's match on the card went with Bailey beating Nikki Cross after um, punching Nikki in the gut 
with um Sasha's uh legit boss like um ring that basically is a brass knuckle <laughs> in disguise, a very uh, bejeweled brass knuckle. Um hitting her in the in the in the ribs with it and then hitting the face plant to get to get the win. Um you know, it it didn't really it the ending of that match did not really pay homage to the kind of match that, that Nikki Cross and Bailey were having or could have had. You know, that match didn't light the world on fire, but it was still two solid people in that in the ring that could have had a better match if not for the way that things needed to play out there. Um, you know, we saw the same thing happen with the one of the more convoluted stipulation matches that I have seen. Um, the eye for an eye match with Rey Mysterio and Seth Rollins, where the only way to win literally was to extract the your your opponent's eye from the socket. Um, you know, for this match, I'm just gonna go on record. This stipulation never should have been booked. It was ridiculous and stupid and they basically like wrote themselves into a corner with this in a way that they were not going to, to deliver any any ending that would have really amounted to anything that that was that they built up to there was no satisfying ending here and the ending that we did get was a joke um it was stupid it was frustrating especially considering how much these two really um, put into the match prior to it, you know, like this this was a really good match, and if there had just been like you throw a different a different stipulation onto this, you know, just make it no DQ or make it you know make it something else, anything else other than this, and and just have the match be have to end in a pinfall or something, and this match would have been a highlight on this card, but instead we got a marble with an eyeball drawn on it. Made to, that we barely saw, um, made to look like Ray Mysterio's eye and popped out of socket, and then we saw Seth Rollins um, vomit after seeing the damage he had done. <laughs> um, <sighs> there's some things that make me cringe. To say I'm a wrestling fan, and this was that that ending that match was one of them. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. That's just where that's where it lands for me. Uh, I I hated I hated the ending to this match. There's you can't even say, like this wasn't even camp. This was just terrible, 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 terrible. Um. <sighs> It's a real shame that the that the ending, over, not just in that match, but in so many other matches, really overshadowed the match itself. Um, really, the only matches where that didn't happen were the the opener for the tag team titles, where I think, you know, the New Day, uh, Kofi, Big E, and then Cesaro and Nakamura, like they they came prepared to to do what they needed to do in that tables match to try and make that stipulation work and, and tell a good story in there. And they had the, you know, they had their working boots on for a while there. And, and I liked, and I liked what I saw and I liked the match. I like, I like the fact that Cesaro and Nakamura have the, the tag titles coming out of this. Um, I think that that union has needed something extra for a while. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure that the new day are just going to still be, in that picture and, and, you know, chasing those belts alongside other tag teams in that division for a while here. But it does give you an option to open them up for, for single stuff as well. Um, I, like I said, I doubt that's going to happen. But, you know, I, th I it's a win-win coming out of this. And we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't know. There, there's a... There's definitely a re at least one rematch coming for sure, considering you know the fact that tables matches don't end in pinfalls or submissions. So 
I'm sure that's going to be coming down the line at some point, and and whenever that does happen, we'll see how they split these two off again, or if they don't, you know, they they could be trading belts, they could be um, fighting past SummerSlam, <laughs> who knows? Um, and then of course the the uh, the WWE Championship matchup with McIntyre defending against Dolph Ziggler, this one was probably the only match on the card where the stipulation actually added to it. In a way, um, the fact that that Dolph was playing the long game here, <laughs> and basically holding the stip- his choice of stipulation close to the vest until right before it started, um, was an interesting way to tell that story. Considering that it, that really doesn't happen that often, and then uh, to see that stipulation really play out in the match itself, you know, Dolph basically saying that he. He can use weapons. He can do the. He can. He has no disqualifications or countouts on him. But Drew has to adhere to regular, normal singles match rules. No weapons. No disqualifications. No countouts. And if he if he does do that stuff, then he loses the belt as well. It really enhanced the way that that it was worked. And you know, I the match itself was fun. I don't think many people thought that Dolph had a chance to actually win the belt going into this. So adding the stipulation gave an air of like, oh, well, maybe something could happen where they, you know, change it and then have the like rematch again and and we see Drew win it again. You could see some surprise here. But, you know, ultimately it amounts in Drew beating on Dolph for a long time. Dolph getting in his, his heel responses here and there and then Drew out of nowhere hitting that Claymore that just KOs everyone. Um, so a strong, a strong showing for both of them. I, I don't know if it's worthy of having a rematch like we're going to have on Raw next Monday, but um, you know, for a placeholder challenger, while they clearly build Randy Orton for a, a major feud with, with Galloway down the line. Um, why am I saying Drew Galloway? <laughs> It's Drew McIntyre. Ah, uh, WWE wrestling names are odd. Anyway, to see like setting, they're definitely setting up Orton and McIntyre um, for SummerSlam in August, and and so yeah, like this this gets you through a pay per view and gives you a, a decent match out of it. Um, and I'm glad we got a decent match out of it because we got the company's latest cinematic offering coming out of this as well with the uh, the swamp fight between uh, Universal Champion Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt and uh, every time I see another cinematic match from WWE as the months roll on here in Pandemic Central I'm reminded of the WrestleMania 36 recap that we did here on the show with Daniel Trainer, um, where the first thought that came into my head was the Boneyard match was great, the Firefly Funhouse, the Firefly Funhouse match was great. How quickly does WWE beat this into the ground? They basically did it the next month with the, how they executed the Money in the Bank match. But the Swamp Fight, the Swamp Fight supplanted that Money in the Bank match as the worst cinematic match that I've seen from this company so far. Um, I don't know. This just it feels like it feels like who the writers and and the directors for this segment tried to mash as many different. Um, horror films and and horror tropes into one place at one time and did not understand how any of them actually worked or how like they conveyed any kind of like tension or fear or anything like that um the lighting was atrocious for the most part um bray i look bray in terms of like monologuing is one of the... I've really enjoyed 
a lot of Bray's verbal work over the course of his WWE career. Um, that being said, it can get a little long in the tooth. It can get a little circular in a way that undercuts the impact that it's supposed to have and the message that it's supposed to deliver. And that's this match was basically the physical manifestation of, of a bad Bray Wyatt promo. Um, you know, we didn't actually really get a lot of physicality until like 10 minutes <laughs> into it. And, oh God, I, there's just, it's, there's so much that just you automatically know what's going to happen. Um, and not in, not in a, in a good way. You know, it's not, there's really no subversion. Like the only subversion you got was like them doing the spot where they put up the, the, the copyright, um, thing at the end to signal that the the event is over and then you had Bray reach out and pull Braun back into the into the water. You know, and like that's not like that worked for the Gargano Champa thing because like that was a storyline that you had a lot of emotional investment in and to see Champa turn his back on Gargano on that night was a complete shocker. This on the other hand, I don't know anyone who is thoroughly invested into Bray and Braun right now. I thought that the last time that they fought um, was a match that did not deliver at all, and that they this should be put on the back burner for a while. Um, but clearly, that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's just I don't know. There nothing really in this works for me. Oh, I take that back. The one thing that did work for me here was. Um, them playing off of, oddly enough, playing off of the mixed match match challenge and having Alexa <laughs> Bliss come in as like this vision of Sister Abigail sort of thing and playing off of like the supposed sexual attraction between Braun and Alexa as they are during their time teaming as the was it Team Little Big or something? Just the God, I hate. I hate how WWE names things sometimes. It's just so stupid. Um, but yeah, like it's just none of it. None of it worked. None of it. Not even setting a man on fire who clearly was only there to be set on fire from the minute you saw him on screen. <laughs> it was just, it was just bad. And then, like, I don't know. Is Braun like, is Braun Strowman dead? It seems like the Fiend might have ate him. can't believe I have to say that on a wrestling show. But then again, like sometimes that stuff works. Sometimes the most ridiculous stuff works like that. And that I think that really speaks to the disappointment that I had in this is that if you really invested in what you wanted to do here or, or took a step back and tried to not approach it from how WWE likes to interpret horror or thriller stuff, you could have really delivered something interesting, maybe. Um, but I don't think that that expectation was ever really there. And it's a shame. It's a shame. So Extreme Rules was uh, probably the most frustratingly disappointing out of the three because there was still really good wrestling on this show. But WWE just cannot get out of their own way. And that's even without mentioning the fact that Apollo Crews was pulled from the event because he uh, apparently has COVID, according to reports. So, talk about a horror show. There's there's your horror show. Um, but yeah. All in all, though, a fun, a fun period of wrestling, I would say. And we're going to get more. We got a New Japan coming up this weekend again, and uh, we got some other stuff down the pipeline. SummerSlam's coming up next week, or not not next week, next month. Misspoke. Um, so yeah, there's stuff coming, um, and we'll be here to talk about it. Um, but that being said, we cannot uh, let this show end without saying uh, some thank yous to people that help make this show as awesome as it is. 
Progress Product Flag Design by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. Um, and then, of course, big thank you to Sarah and the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666. That's off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. You can follow me on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. You can follow the show on Twitter at LGBTRingPod. Um, and please do not forget to come back every day here on the Outsports Podcast Network. Like we have shows um, daily for the most part, and they're all on different topics. They're all engrossing. Um, really strong interviews, strong discussions, I would say, on a lot of topics within uh, sports um, relating to, you know, not just overall sports, but LGBTQ figures and, and issues within the sports. And so really, I'm proud to be on this. I don't say it enough. I'm proud to be associated here with, with the Outsports team. It's really, it's, a, it's, it's rewarding. It's, it's fun. Um, and of course, if you're into video games, I do also host a gaming news podcast with a couple of my uh, best buds. Uh, that is called the Mr. Video Game Super Show. That goes live every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Sun like the star. Um, it's, I don't know, it's always a fun time. I like hanging out with my friends and talking about this stuff. But And we have fun with the news, but we also, you know, when we, when analysis and critique is needed, it is there. So definitely, if you're into that sort of stuff, give us give it a listen. Uh, every Monday... 8 p.m. Twitch.tv slash Dead Sun Entertainment. Um, that being said, though, we're going to book it for this week. Uh, but come back next week because uh, we will not be guestless, I promise. <laughs> and you won't just have to listen to me ramble about wrestling for 40 minutes, even though I'm sure it's fun. I like it, um, even if my voice does feel a tiny bit shot. Either way, um, come back next week, um, and we will see you once again. But until then... Y'all stay messy, wash your hands, wear a mask, and please get Master Wado a better die job. Please, please, please. Everybody's ready to die. Bye. They didn't see it coming from the top of the bridge. She made a deal with the demon so a lover could live. 